Welcome to Impact AI, brought to you by Pixel Scientia Labs. I'm your host, Heather Couture. On this podcast, I interview innovators and entrepreneurs about building a mission-driven, machine-learning-powered company. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to my newsletter to be notified about new episodes. Plus, follow the latest research in computer vision for people in planetary health. You can sign up at pixelscientia.com newsletter. Today, I'm joined by guest Konstantinos Kyriakop Ulas, co-founder and CEO of DeepSea, to talk about shipping. Konstantinos, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Heather. It's a pleasure to be here. Konstantinos, could you share a bit about your background and how that led you to create DeepSea? Sure. I'm an information engineer by training, bachelor's, master's, PhD. I did my PhD on applying deep learning to uh, speech applications. So nothing to do with chipping, but I was uh, part of a lab in Cambridge that was very active. And this is back in 2016, 17, when deep learning was becoming very hot and it was conquering everything. And I was thinking about what can I do with it that's different from what most people are doing. Most people were doing things with language models, speech, image data, you know, all sorts of consumer facing, uh, consumer facing data. And I was very interested in the application of AI to heavy industry, you know, things that are big and real and engineering. And I felt that there is a lot of disruption that can be done there. And no one was really pursuing it at the time. And so that's when I had my serendipitous encounter with Roberto, who is the other co-founder of DeepSea and was actually an old family friend. And the same way that I had this solution looking for a problem. He had a problem looking for a solution. Uh, he has a deep background in shipping as a mechanical engineer by training. He was working at the time on, on the problem of estimating the fuel consumption of ships. And shipping companies had a lot of trouble being able to estimate what the fuel consumption of a ship would be at different speeds and in different weather conditions because the state of the hull of the vessel changes over time because things stick to it and, and repairs are done. And this is not the tractor model everywhere. So traditional linear regression and also theoretical physics-based models uh, were just off by 15, 20% in, in making the prediction. And so we had a hunch that if we use deep learning uh, to take in large amounts of data from, from lots of ships, we could do a better job at uh, predicting the fuel consumption and also at modeling this state change as a latent variable or using uh, time series-based methods. And so we were able to get some data from his company at the time. I ran the first, what became the first deep sea model on my laptop. And we found that very quickly, just by applying standard methods, we could bring this error down from 50% down to the range of 5%. And so, you know, we looked to see if anyone else is doing it. No one else was doing it. And so we thought this could be a good business. And that's how it started. So what all does deep sea do today? And, and why is this important overall for, for the shipping industry and, and mitigating climate change? Yeah, so we, we started out with this problem of modeling the, the vessel. There's actually two parts. It's modeling the hull of the vessel. How much energy does the vessel need to do whatever it's doing? And then modeling the engines, right? How much fuel do you need to, to, to generate this energy? And doing this for every type of ship in all the different sea conditions over a long time series of many years, taking into account all the things that, that change over time and how the state changes over time. Initially, we did this as just a modeling and monitoring product, like an analytic suite. But we soon realized two things. The first is that you can't really do any of this 
unless you have good data. So we, we started uh, building also a data gateway and, and collection product, which is installed on board the ships to collect the data. And then the next thing we realized is that actually, if you really want to create impact, it's not enough to just show people what's happening and give them analytics, but you also have to, in some way, produce a tangible ROI. So we decided to go into optimization, using these models to feed a downstream optimization task to actually give the customer the speeds and the route, which will optimize their consumption. And so it becomes more of a reinforcement learning type problem or a deep learning problem embedded within an optimization problem. And so we, we came up with our next product, where which is actually used day to day by the operators and the captains. They put in what voyages they want to do, port to port. They put in all their commercial constraints, the price of the fuel. They put in their uh, the nautical charts, all of this. And it gives them a full route and speed plan, which is sent to the vessel, dynamically updated. And we now have hundreds of vessels that are using this as the way they decide all their speeds. Uh, what we, we quickly realized was that this isn't just a cost-saving measure or the reduction of fuel, because as we start, when we started this, the shipping industry didn't really care about climate change. It was actually formally exempted from most climate change regulations because it was just viewed that A, it's too international to regulate, and B, it's not possible to have a, a zero carbon ship because they just because there's no, you, you know, you can't connect it to the electric grid. But since then, there's been a huge shift. And now shipping uh, is part of emission trading regulations, and there is a lot of economic and social regulatory pressure on them to start decarbonizing. And this means two things. The first thing is in order to meet the decarbonization targets they need to even stay open, they need to cut emissions quickly, which means they just need to reduce the amount of fuel they consume while maintaining the same commercial results. But it also means that in the future, they're going to start experimenting, and they've already started experimenting with some radically different modes of propulsion. So we have uh, liquefied natural gas-powered engines. We have vessels now that have rotor sails attached to them. So these are cylinders that spin, and as the wind hits them, it produces a propulsion force to augment the force from the engine. So now wind isn't just an obstacle, it's also a form of propulsion. You have ammonia which is basically um, an energy storage mechanism. You have a wind turbine or somewhere on the land, produces ammonia, ammonia becomes a new, the new fuel. What this means is that all of a sudden, the vessels are operating in completely different ways than they have been for the last 100 years when all the physical models uh, were built. And so it means that actually neural network-based approaches that treat these things statistically are so much more important and optimization becomes so much more important because without it, the operators of these things are at zero. And so we, we quickly found ourselves actually being at the forefront of the decarbonization of shipping as well with this business. So you mentioned modeling and optimization in, in a couple of different places there. Maybe could you elaborate on, on how you use machine learning, what the inputs to these models are and, and what they're trying to predict? Yeah, sure. So the kind of core task is that you have every minute the RPM speed over ground and various weather conditions, wind speed and angle, current speed and angle, a wave height to swell, et cetera, plus the amount of loading of the vessel. And you have to predict the power, right? So how much energy does it need to maintain that speed in those conditions? At first glance, this is a, just a tabular regression task, 
But when you take into account the fact that you have acceleration, deceleration, when you take into account that the state of the hull changes over the scale of months due to marine life attaching itself to the hull of the ship, so literally talking about like barnacles and things sticking to the hull, which can increase consumption 10-20%, what you realize is what what you're actually dealing with is a very long time series prediction task. And so that's sort of the core task we solve. And we have kind of an ensemble of different models that we use for this, ranging from straightforward neural networks with a latent variable component to attention-based and memory network-based techniques for doing the the long memory. And then we have the main engine modeling, where that is predicting the uh, fuel consumption is the output and the inputs are the power, RPM of the engine, and then the temperatures and pressures of various um, air and fuel and cooling water and other things that are going into the engine. And that's more of a tabular regression task. The complexity there comes, in addition to just the fact that it's a highly nonlinear problem, it also comes from the fact that the features are basically never all there at the same time. There's a lot of missing features that need to be imputed. So actually, a lot of what we worked on there is the imputation task and the filling in the missing data in an end-to-end way that helps the prediction at the end. And then across both of these, it is very important to be able to do uncertainty estimation and to be able to have robustness to distributional shift. And that's one of the other things we've published paper on, papers on because there's just a huge variance in, in, in what you're going to see. Again, for both of these models, it's very important to be able to do transfer learning of different kinds because we're going to have a scarcity of data when you have a new vessel. So you want one vessel to be able to learn from other vessels. And then you also have cases in which the different inputs and outputs have different granularities. So for instance, there are a lot of vessels where you have your speed and your weather on a per 10 minute basis, but your fuel consumption comes in on a daily basis. So we're talking there about you know, aggregated models and more transfer. And then once you've got all this, then this all has to be fed into the downstream optimization. So again, you've got two approaches for this. You can do it as an end-to-end reinforcement learning problem, or you can use the regression models to populate a grid that then goes into a kind of more traditional optimization algorithm, genetic algorithm, or, or dynamic programming, and so on, where in that case, again, on the, on the modeling side, you need to focus a lot on getting the smoothness and the, and the robustness of distributional shift right so that you can actually use neural network gradients and outputs for a, a downstream optimization task, which is which is not straightforward. And at the end of the day, this is all going, it's all being judged and measured in real time because it actually has to save you know the customer fuel voyage by voyage. And if the model is not able to do that and it, and it costs them more fuel, we're talking about huge amounts of money lost and large amounts of pollution that is unnecessary. How do you ensure that your models continue to perform well over time? Maybe this is changes related to the marine life attaching to the hull that you mentioned or some other type of distribution shift. How do you accommodate these changes? Yeah, so the most important thing is to evaluate performance. So to to make sure that the the performance is constantly being tested and you have good benchmarks and analytics beyond just, you know, MAPE. Right or MSC, like actually looking at you know the the shapes of, of curves that give some interpretability, looking at 
the third estimation in this thing. So we just have that running all the time. Of course, we retrain the data. We have MLOps teams that are looking at things manually. And then we, we have you know, a great team of, of, of ML scientists that are just pushing forward the models. And then you know, we also have back-off techniques, right? We have sanity checks. We have back-off to simpler models, to theoretical models, kind of various fail-safes in place to prevent a degradation in the quality of the model from, from leading to a problem in the production environment. Why is explainability of machine learning models important? And how do you make them explainable in the case of shipping data? Yeah, so it's extremely important. It's important first for the reason I alluded to, which is just for debugging what's happening and for, for, for checking the accuracy, not just as a final number, but actually checking whether what's being done makes sense. So, you know, is the relation that's being learned between speed and power one that you know is reasonable, like more speed, more power, these sorts of things? And again, that's important because of the out-of-domain distribution problem, right? Like you, you could have a model that has a, a very high accuracy, but that's only because it's overfit to a particular domain, right? So like, even if you've tested it on a held-out evaluation set, it may be overfitting to, to broader trends within, within the data that suddenly may cease to apply. And especially if you're now doing an optimization task, and so you're trying to find an optimum operating point, that optimum may well end up being outside the domain. So, so it's really important to also be able to check internally what's going on, but also uh, the customer wants to see what's going right? on. So, so, so no one who is operating a, an asset worth tens or hundreds of millions of dollars is going to trust all of its speeds and routes and other decisions to be given by a complete black box algorithm. They want to have some view of what it's doing and why. And so we've spent a lot of time building visualizations that can show kind of slices through the model and can visualize what it's doing and how it's thinking. So this is everything from just a you know, speed power curve at different values of different conditions, keeping everything else equal, or 3D plots of, for example, power versus wind speed and wind angle to see if it makes sense given the shape of the vessel. When we do optimization that also incorporates opportunity cost, it's having you know the model do lots of predictions to draw out kind of economic style marginal cost, uh, marginal revenue curves to see if the optimum point is where the two meet. It's looking at what the what, uh, historical examples before the customer used our product, what they did, what we would have suggested, visualizing that versus certain weather conditions, and then trying to to build interpretability as to how changes in the weather leads to changes in the optimum speed, and so on and so forth. That this is something that is just a constant project where we're developing more and more and better and better ways to build interpretability. There's always need for more. How do you go about validating your models to be sure that they function the way you expect them to in a real world scenario? So, as I mentioned, mean absolute percentage error and mean squared error doesn't even get you started. You can get a bit better by doing this on tasks that have much better curated data sets. But we need more. So we look at using a theoretical model to generate synthetic data and evaluate against that. We look at generating some of these curves that I mentioned before, and then validating the model based on kind of common sense behavior. So are you getting 
higher power, higher, higher speed? Are you getting higher power when the vessel is, when you think the vessel is more fouled and so on and so forth. And so we have various metrics for this. And then we also have a kind of likelihood based metrics that are, are also measuring the accuracy of the uncertainty estimation, which is also very important for us. So it's about building as many of these tests as possible, building scoreboards for them, having them run automated way as much as possible and just running them regularly. Thinking more broadly about what you're doing at Deep Sea, how do you measure the impact of this technology to be sure it's having the effect that you want it to? Yeah, so for us, impact is actually very, very straightforward. It's dollars and uh, metric tons of CO2, right? So we, we can point to how much CO2 we remove or prevent from being emitted. That's the most important metric for us in terms of impact. We're now doing about as much as a town of a few tens of thousand people, as in the amount of CO2 prevent from being emitted is the amount that is emitted by about 10,000 houses. Yeah, we also look at the money we're, we're saving our customers. And then, of course, we also look at qualitative things, right? Do they like it? Are they using it? Are they adopting it? Is it being used for all their voyages? Are they using the analytics? Is it making their life easier? Is it saving them time? And so I think that's, that's really how any company evaluates its success, right? Are the customers happy? Uh, are they seeing tangible, measurable impact? Is there any advice you could offer to other leaders of AI-powered startups? I think what I always say when, when people talk to me about starting an AI company is focus on your data architecture early. You know, look at your databases, your, your microservice architecture, how you're scaling it. These sorts of things, at least people who come from my sort of background, where they're used to just working Jupyter notebooks all day, it's very easy to make bad decisions early on and then end up with something that is not scalable. When you've got them going and you've got lots of customers using your system, it's very, very difficult to fix the engine while the car is running. And finally, where do you see the impact of Deep Sea in three to five years? We want to be removing more and more CO2 from the atmosphere. We want to be hitting the, the thousand ship level. Uh, we want to be used by vessels of every type in every market. And we want also to have started becoming kind of the center of an ecosystem where all the different parties that rely on vessels and, and use and need their vessels to be optimum, the owner of the asset, the manager, the charterer, possibly insurers and financers and so on, are all logging into the same platform and using it as a single source of truth for the performance of the vessel and a single point of optimization for all of their different KPIs. This has been great, Constantinos. I appreciate your insights today. Where can people find out more about you online? Our website is deepsea.ai, and you can also follow us on LinkedIn. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks a lot. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Heather Couture, and I hope you join me again next time for Impact AI. Thank you for listening to Impact AI. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. And if you'd like to learn more about computer vision applications for people and planetary health, you can sign up for my newsletter at pixelscientia.com newsletter.